Welcome to the Happy Homeschooler podcast, a digital support group for everyone interested in a learning lifestyle. I'm your host, Melody. I'm your co-host, Holly. Well, good morning, Holly. Today we're going to be talking about game schooling. But before we do, uh, let's catch up. What have you been up to lately? Well, um, I have been elbows deep into curriculum and school planning. Um, You know, July is the time when a lot of curriculum comes in. You've placed your orders and it's like Christmas in July. And I got a lot of curriculum in and I have a lot more on the way. So I'm working on my school planning for the fall. Oh, it's so much you? fun. That's that's the time of year for getting ready for school. Well, I'm getting ready for school in a slightly different way because I'm preparing to teach a class of middle schoolers English this coming fall. And so I've been doing a lot of reading, uh, basically reading kids books, because I like to use really well-written books as examples of the different grammar and things that we're studying. So I am having so much fun with all these books, and I love, I've discovered a lot of them our library has on Overdrive, so I can, like, check them out and read them and turn them back in and check out more, and so I've discovered some new favorites. It's been really fun. That is fun. I think um, sometimes the planning for school is more fun than actually once you start doing it. (laughs) Sometimes I think we're so full of hopes and dreams and we imagine how we would like it to go. And then sometimes things don't always go the way we plan. For sure. One of the things I'm really excited about is I have a large bulletin board in my hallway where I have a calendar and we go to the calendar every day. We see what the date is and we check the weather and put up different things. And I, it's, I've had it for a few years and it's had a lot of holes poked into it, you know, from putting the new letters up or whatever. So I thought, well, I need a new calendar this year. So I bought one that's in French. So all the months are in French and we're studying French. I was very excited about this. And I told my son and he said, um, I don't know if I'm going to like that. And I said, well, you don't have to like it to do it, (laughs) but I think it'll help. Yeah, lots of learning going on that way. Yeah, so I think that arrives today. I'm really excited about getting that up and uh, and starting to use it in our daily calendar time. Oh, I think that's perfect for you because you've been all about uh, the French language for many years. Yes, and I want us to be more fluent. And we, we started to get some fluency toward the end of the school year, um, saying things like, you know, are you hungry or what would you like to eat? So um, I want to keep that learning going and, and in a practical way because we do the days of the week. We do the the numbers, you know, the 21st or whatever. So I think this is going to be mm-hmm. a really good way to incorporate that. We're going to be talking about game schooling and Uh, We played a lot of games in an informal and casual way when I was homeschooling my kiddos. But game schooling as a term was new to me. So I uh, think we should define it for our listeners. For me, it it means using games to learn educational skills. But what do you think, Holly? Um, To me, game schooling is the intentional use of games as part of uh, your educational, um, you know, program. So um, I would think, you know, like we we played uh, Candyland because I think everybody plays Candyland at one time or another. And, you know, you learn colors and things like that. But for a lot of people, it's just something fun to do. But if you were playing it in an intentional way, you would be playing it for the whole purpose of teaching your child to recognize colors and counting. And you'd kind of be keeping track of the skills they learned. To me, that's what game schooling is. It's more intentional. 
That's a good point, adding the intent. We were a family that didn't play Candyland forever until someone gave us one, like late, late. Some of my older children, I don't think they ever played Candyland until they had children. <laughs> so there are some really good games out there. I'd like for us to talk a little bit about why games are important. There are so many uh, developmental things that are involved in games. It can be things like um, fine motor development where they're picking up and moving their little pieces or using a spinner. And then things like how to play a game and how to take turns and how to be gracious about winning and losing. And there are just so many things involved in the game. It's not just for fun. It is fun, but you're learning a lot of skills when you're playing a game. Right. You learn a lot of social skills. You learn a lot of, um, like you said, motor skills. And when we're talking about games, we want to make sure that we're not confining it to something sitting at a, a table because games are um, outdoor, indoor. They are um, sometimes very physical. You know, when you think of um, games like sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we get a lot from games. um we, a lot of times people discount playing. They think playing is a waste of time, but playing is very, very important. And for all age groups. For all age groups, yes. Very important because you're doing, you're interacting with people. Even if you're playing a game by yourself, you're still practicing skills. There are just a lot of um, maybe unrecognized benefits for games. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. I know one of the things is... Um, if we want to talk about fine motor movement, just watching a child be able to pick up and a small playing piece with that pincher grip, that's the same grip you need to hold your pencil. And that's one of the reasons that those little game pieces are shaped like that. I mean, we used a lot of different things for game pieces, but it's one of the benefits of using those smaller pieces is to give your children just different ways to practice pinching something with their thumb and their forefinger. Uh, I don't think I realized that until... Uh, much later on I mean we we use all kinds of things for game pieces but um, that and then like you mentioned counting and counting your spaces and what are some other things well and a lot of games have reading and so sometimes you might have a child who's not very interested in reading until there's a practical reason for learning to read and so wanting to play a game um, oftentimes will help a child to be more motivated to learn a skill Mm-hmm. And it also removes a barrier. If you have a child that's feeling stressed out about a certain topic and you uh, like they associate that stress with their schoolwork, maybe. And I'm sure people are working on that. But if you're playing a game, it's just like all those kind of barriers fall away because then you're wanting to win or you're having fun. And then it's kind of like you're sneaking some learning in there without them realizing that this yeah. game, you know, like. Like Dutch Blitz is one of my family's favorite games. It's oh, all we about love Dutch Blitz. Such a <laughs> it moves so fast, and it's all about you know you've got to lay your cards down in the right order, and you're paying attention to the alternating colors, and but you need to be able to you know build your stack in the right way, and that's if you have a child learning to count, we play really slowly with the smaller ones, mm-hmm. but they're still learning and practicing, and I'll have to see if I can't think of a better example, but um. It was, it's just been fun to watch them practice their skills, not a worksheet, like with fast track we've talked about before, where they're 
uh, answering a math question and moving that number of spaces, they did the equivalent of several pages worth of problems, but it was a game. And because that particular game had three spots where you could land and win, the games went really fast and we played several and they always wanted to play more and I was tired. It's like, y'all go ahead, I'm done. But um, games are just full of opportunities to to let learning come in the back door, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. And the nice thing about games is that people of all ages can play them. It's not just restricted to one certain age group. And and I know games have age, you know, age recommendations on there. But um, oftentimes you can take a game and modify it so that everyone in a family can enjoy it together. I think that's one of the best things we could change the rules a little bit so we could all play all grown-ups all the way down to the little bitties or then children are helping each other play sometimes we made our games more cooperative that way yeah but, we just um, did that recently um some of my kids that live in other states came for a visit and my oldest son has an extensive um, amount of games. He loves tabletop games. So when we get together, he brings games. Well, so we had people from their mid-30s down to an eight-year-old. And we found ways to incorporate the eight-year-old into the games. He played on a team or we chose games that um, allowed him a little more input. There's always a way to take a game and use it uh, as for a group, no matter what the ages are in that group. Well, you know, people have been using learning games for a long time. When I was a, a classroom teacher, we did a lot of things with games. But game schooling as a term is kind of a new, uh, a new term. And so it's made it possible for people to, um, I guess, label or to find each other because there are groups starting and places where if you, if you Google game schooling, your resources will pop up. Yes, and actually I'm uh, part of a group on Facebook called Game Schooling with Game School Academy. And there are other um, places on Facebook, uh, Game Schooling with My Little Poppies, and there's one called just Game School Academy. And the benefit of these groups is that um, people share so many resources and it really helps to springboard ideas. Um, and some people are, you know, are just doing games all day long for all of their learning. And I had no idea um, of all the resources till I joined game schooling with Game School Academy. So yeah, definitely you wanna utilize some things like that. I know I joined one of those game schooling groups on Facebook and there are just games out there I had never heard of. It's really exciting to know that there are so many other ways to support learning. Exactly. Let's talk about games. Do you have some favorites you wanna share? Um, yes, I do. Actually, we have been playing a game for a long time called the Ladybug Game. Um, and what I like about this game is it made us learn a little bit about ladybugs and um, aphids that they, I guess they eat aphids or they squeeze them and get some liquid from them or something. And it involved a lot of counting and we've been playing that game for years. I thought my son would be getting tired of it by now, but he's still enjoying it. Um, and then we have a lot of fun playing the pizza fraction fun game. And what I really like about that is that even though we haven't been studying fractions formally, um, when we're playing the game, my son is understanding, oh, if you have a half, but you don't have that size piece, you can fill a half with four quarters or whatever the, the you know, correlation is. So, um, and it's kind of spilling over into uh, other 
other areas. We were cooking last night and I asked him, well, if we need one and a half and we only have a half teaspoon, how many do we measure? And he was really fast and he said three. So I was like, okay, this this little pizza fraction fun game is is helping us in other areas and it's expanding his thinking. He's understanding fractions, even though we haven't formally studied them. Well, and that's one of the great things about games. They gain some intuitive knowledge by interacting with the manipulatives and the pieces. And do you know, I pulled out a similar type game with my middle school class last year when we were talking about equivalent fractions so that they could move those little pieces around and see that, yes, two eighths was the same as one fourth. And we had talked about it and drawn pictures and all kinds of things, but actually messing with the, the game parts was really helpful. And some of them had some, you know, you hear those gasps where people are like, oh, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. So I always had fun with those kind of things. And then we had games like spill and spell, which is still out there, basically letter cubes and you spill them out and you're making words with them. But we made um, games out of index cards with alphabet letters and did some go fish matching kind of. You can make games out of a lot of things or you can just use the games you have in an educational way like um, Boggle. Boggle is a great game for spelling. And what else? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we've been playing um, a lot of the game of Trouble and Uno. And both of those, you know, they're just fun if you just take them at face value. But you're also learning all kinds of skills. Like with Trouble, there's an element of strategy. Um, You pop your thing and you you have to deal with the number that you get. But how do you use that when you have multiple pieces on the board for the best advantage? Right. Um, And if someone's coming, you don't want them to knock you off the board game. Which one should you which piece should you move next? Yeah. And I've seen my son really mature in his thinking uh, as to how he's moving his pieces and and how he's, uh, you know, strategizing. And it's the same thing with Uno. If you get those plus four wilds, you know, you don't want to use them right at the beginning. You want to hold them for your best advantage. So even regular everyday fun games um, actually have a lot of learning value and you can incorporate them to teach certain things in a very gentle and fun way. Right. And then when when we're having fun, I think we're often open to learning more things. We um, just can kind of come at it from a different expectation. Maybe it's is it school. It doesn't feel like school that you're learning anyway, maybe without realizing it. Even games like sequence or Scrabble or Clue or almost any game you can play, you're incorporating a lot of learning. It may not be academic, textbooky kind of learning, but you're still learning. Sure. And when you approach something uh, and it's fun, it it gives you those happy endorphins, uh, you know, and it makes you true, you know, but really, because if you said we're going to learn deductive reasoning today, here's a worksheet. I think (laughs) the kids would run out of the room. But if you said, hey, let's play Clue. Let's play Clue. Right. Exactly. They want to jump in and play it. So all games have educational value, even if they're not marketed as an educational game. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we'll have an interview with Jennifer Jones, who's been on our podcast before and has a lot of experience with game schooling. 
podcast is sponsored by Transcript Maker, an online service that allows you to create professional high school transcripts from the comfort of your own home. You know, when I was homeschooling my kids and I didn't have a computer in the beginning, I spent a lot of time handwriting their transcripts, cracking courses and calculating GPA. It just was really time consuming. Yeah, and there's so much you could do with that time, hanging out with your family, getting your school stuff planned, or even just getting your chores done instead of spending hours making a transcript. So what you want to do is go to www.transcriptmaker.com and sign up for the 14-day free trial to give it a test drive and try it out. You're going to love it because it's completely plug and play. You just put your information in and it'll fill all the fields and even calculate your GPA. Before you know it, you'll have a finished professional high school transcript. And listeners of our podcast can save 20% with our exclusive code HAPPY, H-A-P-P-Y, in all caps. Get all your valuable time back with Transcript Maker. Transcript Maker, simply better transcripts. Welcome back to the podcast. Our listeners may remember Jennifer Jones from our Learning Challenges episode, which we will link in the show notes. We are pleased to have Jennifer here today to talk about game schooling. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me back. It's exciting to talk to you, Melody, since I didn't get a chance last time. Right, and then we never actually have had a chance to meet, really, in person. (laughs) Yes, Jennifer and I, um, we worked closely at the academy that I was the director of uh, for quite a while, and Jennifer left and you took her position. Jennifer, what mm-hmm. um, what all have you been doing? I know you're part of a thriving community um, up where you live with homeschooling. What have you been up to? Well, actually, our homeschool community up here is getting busy again um, because, you know, more people are able to get out and about and after COVID's kind of dissipating a little here. Uh, so we've been doing all kinds of park days and swim days and just lots of social activities. And uh, there are a lot of new homeschoolers in the area who pulled out of public school over the last year. So we've been meeting a lot of new friends, which is awesome. And personally, I'm getting ready in three weeks to take my daughter Kennedy to college. So we've been focusing on a lot of oh, stuff to getting ready for college. I cannot believe she's going, <laughs> where, what happened to that cute little girl that was, at oh the my gosh, it's oh crazy. Gosh. And she's <laughs> going to be studying medicine. Isn't that right? She is. She's going into the biomedical sciences program at uh, Colorado State University. She's wow. very excited. Wow. Yeah. You should, I, you should be very proud of yourself for uh, getting her up to this point. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I've been through a few, you know, graduating already, but this is still, it still amazes me to see, you know, how far they can go without any formal education. It's, it's always amazing to me. Well, let's get into our interview portion. Jennifer, at the beginning, we talked a little bit about what game schooling is, but I'd like to know how you would define it. What is game schooling to you? And uh, tell us a little bit about your your journey to find game schooling and use it in your homeschool. Sure. So the actual term game schooling is is relatively new to me. Probably I, I first heard about it probably three years or so ago. And I realized then when I started hearing about it that I'd really been doing that our entire homeschool journey. Um, and to me, it just means that you're using games of any type of games for, you know, as a basis of your learning with your kids. Um, I don't 
I don't personally use it as, as a curriculum, but I use it to back up other things we're learning as review, as introduction to a subject. And my family's just big on games. We've been doing it since all of my kids were little. So every year we incorporated more and more into our schooling. Um, and I see uh, game schooling in general, some people do it as a full curriculum and some people just pick and choose what they're using it for. So for me, the definition of it is pretty wide open. And if you're using games at all in your game, in your homeschooling, I think that can be considered game schooling. Well, that makes sense to me because we same thing. I Game schooling as a term was a new idea for me. I know there are groups mm -hmm. now. Yeah, we just we just played games because games are great. They, right. they learn lots of things playing games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we feel the same at, at our house. Um, there was a lot of things I wanted the kids to learn. And if it was a dry subject on a piece of paper, they weren't interested, but turn right. it into a competition. And boy, oh boy, they couldn't get there fast enough. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, that's true. I think it even even before and outside of school, you know, we played games for a lot of reasons, like learning uh -huh. to take turns and how to be a good winner and a good loser and how to be encouraging and just all of those kinds of things. But I do remember like when we first I picked up a the game by Jove at a garage sale because we had a unit coming up on. Uh -huh the Greeks and it was just something the kids pulled out and played on their own. So that by the time we started our unit, they already knew they were familiar with it. Right. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a lot of teaching to do. So it was great for familiarity with the topic coming up. But, mm -hmm. um, I had some children who were especially wiggly and not inclined to sit with dry material. So but, uh, games yeah. were the best for them. Absolutely. I also think my uh, definition of game schooling comes from see, learning that the games we were already playing actually had a lot of value to them, even when we weren't counting it as school per se, that after I started hearing more about the term game schooling, I saw that what we were doing, all of it had value. Even the games that we were just, you know, doing for fun as a family had all kinds of educational value to it. So Jennifer, you mentioned that you don't use games instead of curriculum. And is that a decision you make based on the idea of having a more balanced education or uh, what brought you to that decision? Well, for my family, I've always considered us uh, eclectic homeschoolers. We really pull from anything. So sometimes we use, you know, box curriculum. Sometimes we use a textbook. Sometimes they go to a class. Sometimes they just do their own thing. Um, and we don't use any curriculum. So games is just part of that for me. However, I do know people who use it as their sole curriculum and don't use any other types of curriculum. And it can, really can be done. There's a lot of resources out there for that at every age from young all the way through high school. Um, and people doing that generally keep things like spreadsheets and logs to, you know, document the games they're playing, but not just the games they play, the actual subjects that they touch on during that gameplay uh, so that they oh, can that, have documentation. That's such a good idea. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I'm thinking about, you know, how would you, how would you keep up and how would you track uh, right. <laughs> what you're doing? 
Right. Because some of us, we don't all need documentation, but some of us later, like, for example, if your child's going to be, you know, applying for a university, they sometimes require a lot of documentation from homeschoolers. So even when you're game schooling, you can you can do that and you just need to find the right format for keeping that mm-hmm. document. Yeah, that makes sense. And it sounds like a lot of work and not not at all like a game if you go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, personally, I'm not, I don't do documentation for any of our <laughs> schooling, so I wouldn't be doing that. Uh, but I've seen some people who keep it pretty simple. It's really just a checklist. They have a list of all their games and they check days that they play it and they have a subject list that go next to it and check off the subjects that they covered that day. So oh, it's not a lot of time consuming information. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a little know, organ. Yeah. Right. Just a little organization. So, mm-hmm. you know, what you have and where you're using mm-hmm. it. Right. Yeah. Like you, I, I, we just play games as an adjunct to things we're doing or to help flesh out a subject or maybe ease into something, but I haven't done it in a real concrete way. Uh-huh. where I'm tracking all the things. I'm just like, oh, that that's cool. That covered that. Cool. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And I think I turn to games a lot of times. Like if it was an educational focus for a review, we would often turn review into a game. Yeah, absolutely. That's because that was a whole lot more you. fun. Or the kids would make up games, and the things they mm-hmm. made up were complicated and hard <laughs> to do. <laughs> Yeah. much you know but they loved it because and they really had learned the material and they were having fun with it and I think that takes that learning just a whole different level mm-hmm. when they interact with it in some other way than besides answering questions or we weren't really big on that kind of pencil and paper review anyway we were all about they would act it out or they would you know play games with it yeah I, I agree with you on that I also think that as a homeschool parent, you do have to be somewhat open-minded to this idea of game schooling because it is not traditional, you know, it's not what you're expecting when you're talking about doing school. So you do have to have kind of a looser structure in your house already. It may not work for people who are very traditional in their homeschooling. That's that's a a good good point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. So Jennifer, what does a day with games and game schooling look like? What is your, like, what is your typical day that incorporates games? Okay, so my my family, we don't really have a typical day ever. Okay. Uh, it's, it's different every single day. But we do, I'd say we do play games in some form every day. Uh, my, my boys um, are on video games every day, which there is value to that. We'll talk about that at some point. But um, yeah. we're also, we are outside a lot. So a lot of our games involving groups of friends and things like that are are outdoors in nature. We hike a lot. So we do games while we're hiking, like we do letterboxing and geocaching and scavenger hunts and things like that, which are all educational. And then the board game playing, sometimes it's just really informal. Like we'll just pull out a game and say, let's play it. You know, who wants to play something and we'll pick something. But when we're doing more focused classwork, we will pull out games about that subject or surrounding that subject probably three or four times a week and sit down and play them. It's very informal though, for us it is. And we don't, if if we're not feeling a game one day, if we pull something out and it's just not going well, we don't, we don't keep trying. We go move on to a different game or try a different thing. I also use, uh, I help teach some co-op classes with other homeschool families and we, I do high school level. Uh, we use almost solely games for those classes. Uh, the kids do some work and study on their own on the topics before they come to class. And then we just reinforce it all through games within the classroom. So that would be 
all of their classes that they attend are game playing. Oh, I love that. I think that helps them consolidate their learning. Can you give us an example of a game you would use in one of those classes and how that works? I'm really intrigued by this. Okay, so this this the last class I taught was uh, world mythology, and uh, I use a lot of resources to find games. But generally, anytime I have a topic that I'm teaching with my own kids or with a co-op class, the first thing I do is start googling games for the particular topic. And you can find so many great resources already created for you by other parents, by other teachers, and a lot of printable free stuff that way. Um, my go-to place is Teachers Pay Teachers. You go on there, mm-hmm. you put in the subject and game and you can find pretty much anything and some of the great stuff I love on there is uh, topic bingo and topic jeopardy games and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with I have and who has games Mm -hmm. but they have topic I have who has for everything they have topic escape room games for everything Um, the high school kids love that stuff and then we also in that world mythology class there were some things I had a hard time finding game material for we did a lot of Japanese mythology and it was pretty specific so they didn't have games that you know really fit what I was looking for so the kids made their own games and then they spent the whole I guess it's basically a semester you'd consider it they they built a game together a board game you can buy kits on Amazon that have you know come with the box and it's blank and it has a game board and dice and everything's blank and the kids in the class spent over the whole semester took all the different mythologies we learned and created a board game using that. And so that was really great because they had to cooperate, they had to be creative, but they had to use all the knowledge they were gaining throughout the class to create the game. That's amazing. Wow. I, that I sounds like come, a class I'd come take. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah, can I come audit your class? <laughs> <laughs> um, I hadn't even thought about games outside So I'm so glad you mentioned that, but Mm -hmm. I don't know what letterboxing is. Could you tell us about it? Sure. It's very similar to geocaching, if you know about that. So letterboxing is basically a great big treasure hunt, and it's primarily in places you would be hiking, but they also, cities have them too. And there's websites you can go to. I think letterboxing.org is the main one, but it gives you clues to follow to find your letterbox. And when you find the box uh, and you open it, there's stamps inside of it. So you're supposed to have like a log book and you, when you find the box, you have your own personal stamp with you and you put it in their log books that's in the box. And then you use their stamp and you put it in your log book. And it's just really fun. A lot of them have educational value to them too. They're, they're put in places that, you know, are historical or they tell you about the place you're visiting and people make their own carve and make their own stamps. Some of them are really great. And my kids, we've, we did it for a long time when they were little, uh, they loved finding them, of course, because it's a, it's a treasure hunt, you know, uh, but yeah. they also we'd made our own and hit our own. And that was really fun, too. That's such a good idea. I just wish I'd heard of it when my kids were younger. <laughs> <laughs> And we we do outside games a lot. If you think about it, when you're in a homeschool group or park days or things like that, they they play games with each other at the parks, even if it's not organized. And and all of that has value to it. And I was talking about the mythology class we did. One of the things we did was learn about the cultures of where the mythologies came from. And one of the ways we did that is talk about the sports they played, and then we actually played them. So that really, yeah, yeah, and that really caught the kids' interest to do that kind of stuff. Oh, sure. Well, with the Olympics coming up, yes. I mean, that that helps kids to learn about those kind of things, different Mm -hmm. countries. Yeah, I love that because um, I I hadn't thought about making outside activities more 
game intentional. And I've been interested in geocaching for a while. You, you've mm-hmm. kind of sparked my interest again. Great. It's one of my favorite things. So um, have you found that there are particular subjects that work better with games when you're trying to teach a, a topic or a concept? Mm-hmm. Math, by far, is the easiest one to find games for at any level, even when when you're doing upper level math, it's easy to find games for that. And it's easy to find games that were, you know, prepackaged, you can just buy on Amazon kind of thing. Or, But also the teacher-created resources are, are vast for math games. Um, science is a little bit more tricky, but there's still a lot of science games out there, more, you know, experiment than game, but a lot of hands-on science stuff is out there. That's true. We even had, I did find on Teachers Pay Teachers, some um, mm-hmm. a way to make game out of vocabulary words, matching yes. games. And, mm-hmm. and like you mentioned before, we did uh, bingo and Jeopardy and things like that. Mm-hmm. And how I have who has, but um, science is a little bit tricky. I find a lot of things for English. Did you use anything for like with your early readers? Yes, absolutely. With the younger kids, there's, there are a lot of games to reinforce in language arts. Um, and actually, for younger kids, playing any game pretty much reinforces language arts because they're having to read or write or, you know, things like that. And even with reluctant readers, it's a great way to get them started reading. Um, although I'd like to suggest right now that it, like, you don't worry if your kids can read or not when you're trying to play a game. Just help them out. It, it they'll start getting Absolutely. it as you play the game. Don't don't rule out games that you might think aren't at their level because they're not reading yet. They can still catch on and learn to read through that. Um, but I, interestingly, I'm actually teaching a high school grammar 101 type class this year, and I'm having a difficult time finding high school level games for language arts. So I'm, I'm, you know, looking into those right now, and I'm starting to find some more, but I am going to have to make some of my own, you know, bingo games and Jeopardy games and things like that for the language arts at the upper levels. Right. That's a good point. Yeah, you don't really see a lot. I mean, the only thing I can think of that kind of touches on that would be um, Mad Libs. Yes, you and know. I definitely will be using that. But I'm getting into some like, you know, subject verb agreement. And it's difficult to find a game on that, you know, but but I actually did find one. Did you? <laughs> I did. Jennifer, I think uh, we and our listeners would like to know what did you find to teach? I, I found a couple of things on Teachers Pay Teachers that I think I found an escape room to to help with that. So that'll be great. Oh, my gosh. How fun. Oh, escape rooms are so much fun. They, they are. Why don't you go ahead and explain a little bit about an escape room for anybody who's not seen those in action before? Because they are they have a lot of information in there. And then there's that whole fun figure this out find the clues. Yes. So most of the ones I find are on Teachers Pay Teachers. So they're relatively inexpensive, just a few dollars usually. And you print them out, the PDF, and print it out and take it to class. They have whatever topic it's on. They'll have questions that the kids have to answer to get basically clues to solve other clues. And, And once they collect all their clues, they get to open 
a figurative kind of box at the end of it. So it's not like an escape room like you think about like going to an escape room. It's not yeah, you're necessarily not a, a physical room. thing. No, <laughs> um, it's it's more like worksheet type things, but they're fun puzzles they have to figure out using answers on the topics that they're studying. Right. And I it's very cooperative, with, which is yes, great. Yes, very cooperative. And then I found that for the, the kids who might not be the ones who are the strong readers that are reading mm-hmm. some parts, but they were really good at figuring out the clues they mm-hmm. could be completely involved in. Absolutely. Uh, loved, loved doing the escape rooms. So Jennifer, how do you, you mentioned video games earlier. How do you mm-hmm. incorporate them and how do you use them for learning? And uh, tell so, us some more about that. I think the one that I've probably used the most uh, for actual, you know, formal learning is Minecraft. And I've been using it with my kids for a long time. Um, in fact, I think when I was teaching at the academy, the like eight to 10 year olds, we did a geometry class using Minecraft as our basis back then. And it's just kind of for my own kids evolved some of the things we've done with it. You know, they build towns and communities on there, but they work together to do that. So the cooperation involved in that is really important. They have built famous architecture, you know, they'll they'll go look up, you know, go Google some kind of famous building and then rebuild it and then also learn about what they're building and where it is and the place and what happened there. So we've used it that way a lot. I also think my boys right now are 13 and 14. They just love video games. So, you know, I don't shy away from letting them play that because I watch I watch what they're doing and I see even when they're playing things like Fortnite and things like that without any direction, they're they're learning from it. And the online cooperation with other players has been really valuable, I think, and having to work together as a team with people they sometimes don't know, which I know mm-hmm. people are worried about that, but it's valuable for them to have to work as a team with people in those kind of situations. And I see a lot of learning coming from that, actually. So I I know that some people don't let their kids play video games, but I think that even at young ages, especially for kids who are not, you know, in love with traditional learning, that you can use them to your benefit uh, to get kids reading and math skills are big in there too. Yeah, I would have to agree. So my uh, last episode, I think we touched on the fact that my um, eight-year-old wanted to play The Legend of Zelda, but Uh he couldn't read very well at Uh the time. And my son, who had it on his Switch, told him, well, you know, if you work on your reading, you'll be able to play this game. And sure enough, that was his goal. And he's been able to play The Legend of Zelda. Yeah. Um, he also plays Minecraft, and he discovered um, Minecraft learning, mm-hmm. and he was doing some things with the elements, you know, like he was yes. building elements in Minecraft. And I was yeah. like, wow, that's super cool. Yeah. You know, older kids might be playing a game uh, like Assassin's Creed, which my mm-hmm. older kids played. And what kind of subjects have you found, if your kids play that, that that touches on? So my kids love Assassin's Creed. Um, and it's great because it's more like historical fiction basically and it gets kids interested in things like time periods and places and the people that you know live during those time periods and the cultures and i i know that with assassin's creed and also with fortnite and minecraft all three of those you can go find online resources for lesson plans to go with them if you're interested in making it more of a formal type education and it's great that there are games like that for older kids for high school kids that hold their interest and they're still learning from them yeah and it's oh my gosh in assassin's creed when my kids my older kids played it it's a beautiful game 
Mm-hmm. I yes. mean, it's just oh, gorgeous. It is. Um, so yeah, the, these games all have value. And really, you want to follow your kids' interests in mm-hmm. when you're incorporating games, I would imagine. Because some kids are going to be more naturally drawn to video games, and some kids are going to be more naturally drawn to other types right. of games. Mm-hmm. So how do you get a whole group of people playing with different interests? How, how have you worked that out? Well, uh, I, I've definitely found that doing physical active games pretty much draws all the kids in at some level. So when I'm doing co-ops, we try to do things that involve a lot of movement. And even if that just means like with the escape room where you're moving tables between questions and things like that, that the movement itself and the active parts of it keep the kids interested in it and actually keep them focused on what they're doing. Good point. Yeah, movement is excellent for learning. Would you like to share some of your favorites? Do you have favorites? You probably have so yes. many, but so, what are your, like, your top ones? Okay, so we haven't talked about this, but D&D is the best game to me for educational purposes at all ages. And it's another one of those things where people shy away from it. There's all kinds of, you know, thoughts about it being bad. <laughs> um, but basically, a ro- it's a role playing game. So my kids have played D&D and Pathfinder and things for years. And like, since they were little, little, and they have their own groups now as they get older. But it's role playing. So it involves every type of of learning is involved. They are writing, they're reading, they're researching, they're learning about history. It involves math and the gameplay. And it's also cooperative, but competitive kind of at the same time. And they get to, you know, create whole worlds together. And I've just loved it. I have right now, my kids are, my teenagers have their own group. There's a like young adults group happening at my house. I have friends that have a a group going for seven and eight year olds right now. And there's so many learning resources out there for D&D type role-playing games right now. And the kids have created their own. So that's, they take a lot of time, you know, researching it and writing and discovering what they want to do to tell their story. So that's one of my all-time favorite games. Um, as far as like board games go, I think I I have a lot of personally favorite games, but more importantly, I have a like favorite uh, game makers, I guess, the, mm, the, bra- mm-hmm. the brands of the games. There are, for the very young kids, for toddler and pre-K right now, there are so many new games coming out for that age because I guess there's more people are realizing that kids can start really early on playing games. So there's a couple of companies. Peaceable Kingdom makes some really fun educational games. There's a company called Haba, H-A-B-A, and it's from Germany. And they make games for toddlers. I mean, like two and three-year-olds, but they're board games. And we have kids here that my older daughter's nanny that are in that age range. So we play a lot of games with them too. And these games are just, amazing. They're really well made and they're really engaging and educational. And then the Game Right company, they have great games for school age kids. They're one of my favorites too. And then, you know, all the classic games, you know, Hasbro games and checkers and chess and cards and Scrabble and Monopoly. So my kids aren't, you know, that interested in those games, but we've used them like we don't have to follow the rules. We pull them out and play our own versions <laughs> of them, you know? And and I yes. have used them for, to teach subjects that way too. So those games are always valuable to pull out. I don't know how to play chess. My kids all taught themselves how to play chess. So they'll, they'll do that on their own sometimes too. And also the kids teaching themselves how to play games has a lot of value to it at the same time. Oh, it does. Are the kids teaching their grandma how my 
My grandson was over here teaching me how to play chess again. I've been uh-huh. taught how to play chess several times. That's funny, me too. And, you know, I, I, I was doing better this time around. And at some point I did some move. He was like, oh, I guess I don't need to go easy on you anymore, Grandma. <laughs> but having him teach because like there was so much yes you to know something in order to teach it to someone I, I recently watched some of my teenagers teaching some of their teenage friends how to play chess and I just sat back and I was amazed at you know how well they can teach each other these things yeah that's a great way to know if someone's mastered something is when they can teach it to yes I think uh, in your homeschool too games are important because your older kids and younger kids can do them together and the older kids can be, you know, in charge of helping a younger kid play a game or teaching them how to play a game. And so that's really good for learning all the way around. I agree. Oh, my, um, yes. my middle son has um, a VR game. Um, it's an Oculus and we've been mm-hmm. playing Beat Saber. And one oh, of the things yeah. I love about it is yeah. that you know, my 29-year-old son, my 8-year-old son, yeah. and I can all have fun with this game. And it's a super good workout. We love that game, too. It's oh, good. it's so <laughs> much fun. Yeah, he just added some some new songs the other night, and I played um, Gangnam Style. <laughs> it was, oh, my gosh, it makes you do the thing. But I love that um, people of all ages can play together. Yes. Uh, because I think it's really important, you know, we know in homeschooling that we are not age segregated like public school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of things that are produced are age segregated. Yes. It's wonderful when you can find yes. something. Yes. Like mm-hmm. Also on that point, you know, most games have ages listed on them what that they're good for you can just disregard that like yes. just don't worry about we that if it's something you're interested in let your kids play it even if it says they're too young to play it you mm-hmm. can find a way to modify it for them yes and we usually modified everything anyway so mm-hmm. right <laughs> we always <Households>. do <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been so much fun it makes me want to just go play some games yeah, absolutely. Oh, me too. <laughs> Jennifer, this has been so helpful today. Do you have some final thoughts you'd like to share with everyone? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I think that prevents people from starting on the game school journey is that it's, it can be expensive or you just don't have the physical games that you need at your house. But there's a lot of resources out there. And I just wanted to let people know that you can usually go to your local library and they will have games that you can either check out or play while you're at the library. So at our Austin Central Library, they have so many games you can go play. And we've actually done field trips, like whole days of just going and sitting at the library and playing games with friends. There's also game stores most cities have that you can go play and try out. They're demo games. And before you go out and purchase, some of the games are pretty expensive. So you can just make sure it's something that you think is, you know, worth the cost and go play it. You can also just spend time there playing and not purchase things. And another thing that we like to do is we have inventory lists with our friends. You know, everybody has an inventory of what games they own. And then we exchange games with each other when we are, you know, what something new to play. And also for homeschoolers forming game clubs, you know, like a chess club, but just board games is a great way to get involved with new games. Those are really good points. Um, I'd like to add, go to thrift stores. Um, I have gotten a lot of games for pennies on the dollar at thrift stores. And I feel like I'm getting away with something when I walk in and find <laughs> a, a really great game and it's, you know, like $2 or $3. Mm-hmm. And I know on uh, that if you bought it 
brand new, it'd be 20 or more. So thrift stores are another good place to get some games. Yes. They are. And I loved all your ideas. I'd add that my daughters in their co-op, one of the classes they offered was a game class. Mm-hmm. And so that was another way or is another way that homeschoolers yes. can help each other. They just had one hour where they were playing different games mm-hmm. because there are so many good social skills you get to practice. Yes. Well, thank you, Jennifer, so much for being on today and sharing all your great ideas. I know it's hard to stop because we could keep going <laughs> for days and days talking about uh, the, all your good ideas. We really appreciate you coming and joining us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. I enjoyed it, too. We just so appreciate Jennifer for joining us today and sharing so many great ideas about game schooling. Here at the end of today's podcast, we find ourselves in the reading note once again. Holly, do you have a good book you want to share with our readers? What are you reading? Well, um, you know, you mentioned The Lazy Genius Way by Kendra Adachi, and um, I read it. I read it ah, voraciously. And I isn't so, it good? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think everyone listening to us should read that book. Um, the One of the things I loved about it was the decide once principle. Yes. And <laughs> I have used that to help me in my menu planning. So, um I uh, I recently got a really good buy on gluten-free pasta. I'm a, a gluten-free, dairy-free person, and specialty foods are expensive. So I, I got a good buy on pasta. So I decided that every Monday was going to be some kind of a pasta dish. And every Tuesday is, uh, you know, there's Taco Tuesday. So I'm using that to make uh, Mexican food on Tuesdays. And then I'm going to have Pizza Fridays. So I, I've refined my menu planning based on that principle of decide once. So doesn't that help? I used that just not too long ago. It's like just decide and then go for it. You can always change your mind later if you need to. But yeah. I think we spend a lot of time just trying to figure out what is the best thing. <laughs> yeah, we get bogged down with too many choices. Um, it's just like trying to go buy shampoo. There are too many. So, <laughs> so the decision, the idea of decide once and streamline your life and let your brain get to working on more um, problems that need more brain power, I think is really good. And so thank you for recommending that book. It's really helped me a lot. And I think I'll be reading it, uh, you know, multiple times in the future just to refine some of those ideas. Plus, she's a really funny writer. Oh, she is funny. If you're funny in print, I mean, you've got me right there. So that is uh, what I recently read. Did you read anything new since we last jumped into the reading nook? Uh, Well, I'm reading a lot of children's books at the moment, was I think I mentioned, and I'm looking for things to share with my middle schoolers about sentence construction and uh, how to uh, show something that you're saying instead of not telling. And I came across that this is a totally a kid's book, The Boy Who Loved Words. And it's just this boy, it's a charming story. He loves words. He starts collecting words. And uh, we're going to use it when we're talking about adjectives. But I was really surprised as I was going along. This fellow, his name is Selig, becomes a myth because he's collecting the words. And then he uh, hears this sound and follows it and finds this lady singing. And you'll never guess who her name is. Melody. Melody. <laughs> oh, how funny. Like, oh, how funny. So that turned out to be a really, a really fun book to read. And then a friend of mine, I'm okay, now I'm going into more than one book, but I actually do have about five books on my table right now. Um, a friend of mine recommended Belgravia by Julian Fellows, who is the fellow that oh. uh, 
Downton wrote Abbey. Downton Abbey. Oh, and so great. I just checked that out and I'm about to start reading it. Um, I think I need a break probably from all the kids books, but children's books, really great children's books are wonderful reading because the, the cadence of the writing is so pleasant and the wording is so good. And um, I found those just as much fun to read as uh the adult book like the lazy genius way that i in fact i like that book so much after i turned it back into the library i bought it oh, because wow. i expect to reread it again or, or to have it to share with people because there's just some really good things in there but very good principles my uh my table's full of kids books right now my uh my living room is the same way because uh the ambleside online curriculum that i use has a lot of books and so I've pulled out my whole collection of C.S. Lewis, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, all those. I've all pulled out my whole story. collection of The Little House uh, on the Prairie series. And um, I've pulled out a bunch of other books. But I actually very much like children's literature. And I have a huge collection of it. And I read it for my own pleasure. One of the things I've loved adding to my children's literature are children's literature-based cookbooks. So I have a Little House on the Prairie cookbook. I just picked up a Roald Dahl cookbook that goes with like James and the Giant Peach and all those things. Mm -hmm. um, nothing more fun to me than to read a book and then try to make a recipe. You know, I have I think we have the Boxcar Children's Cookbook. I've got a lot. Oh, of I didn't know there was a Boxcar Children's based, Cookbook. Yeah, based on um, you know the, the Boxcar Children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, not reading all those, but um, <laughs> but I'm collecting them and I'm going to incorporate them at some point. I can talk about books all day long, but I think we probably have to let our listeners get on to doing something else. <laughs> probably so. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at happyhomeschoolpod at gmail.com. Like our page and join our group on Facebook at facebook.com slash happyhomeschoolpod. Check out our Instagram at instagram.com slash happyhomeschoolpod. Follow us on Twitter at underscore homeschoolpod. And subscribe to the Happy Homeschooler podcast on YouTube. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Melody. I'm Holly. Happy, Happy homeschooling. homeschooling. Hi, this is your host, Melody Gillum. Thank you for listening to the Happy Homeschooler podcast, a transcript maker production. My co-host is Holly Williams-Urbach. This episode was produced by Matthew Bass and edited by Nora Williams. Our graphic design is by Pete Soloway, and our music is by The Great Pangolin. You can find our music on YouTube and Twitter at Kylie Wins. That's K-A-I-L-E-Y Wins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or, as always, tell people about us. Our podcast is sponsored by Transcript Maker, an online service that allows you to promote I don't know what I said allows you to promate. Let me try that again. I think you're trying to say create and you and then you I think you're right. <laughs> okay. Let me try that again. It's, that's that whole thing that's what muscle memory or something when you've been saying it for so long. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Let me try again. Our podcast is sponsored by Transcript Maker, an online service that allows you to did you just change that? She did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>